Good morning, everyone. We're in Matthew 13. Some beautiful parables of Jesus with some divergent opinions as to what they mean. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. Verse 1, That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And a large crowd gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. I think this is significant to understand this parable. Uh, I want to share with you this passage humbly. I'm going to tell you what I lean towards as far as my understanding of the passage. I can tell you that, as I mentioned, there are divergent things. But you have to, in my mind, see it this way. <clears throat> right now, there's a, there's an area on the Sea of Galilee where they think they believe this took place, where there's like a the Sea of Galilee had a hill around a lot of it, and but in this one area there was like a valley. So if I'm explaining this in a way you can understand, imagine being on the water and you're looking at a hill, but there's actually almost like a valley on the hill. So like it's a little bit higher on the left and the right, and there's a valley in between. And it was a place where the words would have even stronger effect from the lake. I don't know if you've ever heard people talk out on a lake, and especially if the wind's traveling the right way, you can hear really well. Now remember, they didn't have electronics or you know speakers. So in Jesus trying to talk to a crowd, there were certain places where the acoustics were going to be much better for them to hear. This is one of those places. So what I want you to see, and I think is important to see, is the effort that Jesus is making so that people hear what he has to say. He's, he's wanting them to listen to what he has to say. So he gets out on the boat so that his words can project. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell besides the road. And the birds came and ate them up. Now, one of the things that's great about this parable is that later on we're going to see Jesus explain it to us. But a couple things while we go here. It's interesting that this sower with the value of seed um, spreads it everywhere. If you, this is another reason I give you the interpretation I'm going to give you today. If you were sowing seed, in a field, you would go to the place where you're going to get the greatest harvest. And here, Jesus is sowing seed everywhere, even places where there's probably going to be little to no harvest. So the word goes everywhere. Uh, so anyways, let's keep going. As he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Another thing that's interesting is birds in the Bible are many times negative. They're many times coming to eat the flesh of people who have died. Um, they're not always negative, but in this case, in this particular passage, we'll see that the birds are compared to Satan coming and stealing the seed. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when, excuse me, but when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and, be, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others, this is the, the sower now sowing the seed, others fell among thorns, and the thorns came and choked them out. 
And others fell in the good soil, right? And yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I think that also is another passage that leads me to interpret it the way that I do. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, Jesus is wanting people to hear him. And those who have humble ears to hear are going to hear him. But some hear about Jesus, and they don't have receptivity. They have hardened hearts, and they never really seem to hear what Jesus is saying. They just, they, they, they ha- they're, they're stubborn, and, and they have their arms crossed, and they're not really considering the things of Jesus. And one of the things about a parable is it requires you to put forth effort. It requires you to listen to receive. If you're like, ah, I don't have time for that. I don't really want to hear this. You won't even put forth the mental effort to try to understand what Jesus is saying. It'll just kind of like bounce like a bug off a windshield. You just won't, you won't take it in. But those who hear a parable and really do want to understand, they will be more receptive, more humble, and they can receive he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Now, that sounds very, uh, very much towards the elect, meaning that to certain people it's been granted to hear, and to certain people it has not been granted to hear. So, um, someone who is more Calvinist would look at this and say, see, this is showing you some people are going to hear and some people are not, and that it's God's decision because some have been granted and some haven't. And there is some truth to that. However, you have to balance that interpretation of that passage also on the fact that Jesus got out on the boat to have everyone here. And he put the seed everywhere. Uh, And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So it's like, it's saying, he who has ears. So meaning, who's willing to really hear and who's not? But then this passage, yes, it does lend itself towards uh, God, God hardening them and God only having certain people that are willing to hear. So it kind of, you know, you could go either way. Um, I tend to go towards the way that God wanted everyone to hear, but who's going to be humble enough to listen? So anyways, let's keep going. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And that's going to be a big word today, our understanding. You know, there's a a psalm that this refers to uh, and a passage in Isaiah. But let me first go to the psalm, Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and listen to what it says, verse 1. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And See, this is, to me, again, a perspective that I have. Jesus is giving instruction, but will you listen? 
And will you incline your ears to the words of my mouth? I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So in, in here, this Old Testament passage, I will open up my mouth in parables and listen my people to my instruction. It says, though he wants to hear, he wants people to hear. But now Jesus is going to quote a, a passage from Isaiah. And let me read it to you. In their case, or excuse me, therefore I speak to them in parables, because while they, while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now the reality is, there are some, and in particular, Jews, who are not willing to receive Jesus. They're not willing to receive what he has to say. They're in constant rejection mode. Their hearts are hardened. And that's something that Isaiah experienced when he was trying to speak to the people of Israel to tell them to repent back in his day. God was saying, you know what? They're not going to listen. And that is the case of some, and especially of Jews who aren't willing to come to Christianity. Their hearts are hardened. Um, But I don't think it's all hearts. Because a lot of Jews did come to Jesus, and a lot of people do listen and do hear and do respond, but some don't, and they they just aren't willing to take in the word. So in their case, the prophet of Isaiah is being fulfilled. These are the ones who don't hear and don't understand. In their case, the ones who don't hear and don't understand, in their case, this is fulfilled. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. It's not that your ears and eyes don't work for those who are unwilling to understand. They hear, and you're capable of understanding, and you see, your eyes see, but you just won't perceive it. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. So even though they hear physically, they're not really hearing. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see. See, if they would be willing to hear and to listen... Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return. So, to me, it's on the people. Are you willing to comprehend, understand, listen, hear? Oh, uh, you know, uh, it reminds me of the, the Shema, you know, uh, uh, when Jesus, or excuse me, when God in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and it, it says, you know, to Shema, to hear, to listen, and obey. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And it says Shema. Hear, O Israel. Are you willing to hear? But that can also mean to listen and obey. Are you willing to hear, listen, and obey? To Shema. So, but blessed are your eyes because they see. Now, he's talking to the disciples. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, this day that Jesus came to earth, a lot of prophets longed to see this day, and you guys are here to hear it. Hear then the parable of the source. So now Jesus is going to explain what it means. When anyone hears the word, 
in the kingdom and does not understand. See, it's saying if you don't seek to understand or they don't understand it, the evil one comes. Now, this is the one that was the birds. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. So if you don't understand that seed doesn't penetrate the soil, it, it, it's on a hard path, and the devil comes and steals what was attempted to be sown, and it doesn't go anywhere. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, you know, again, this is this stuff's kind of hard to interpret. You know, some people don't like the idea that anyone could fall away. Uh, and I think there's a way of interpreting this where it, it's not necessarily falling away, meaning they were born again and then they fell away, but they never really accepted it. I have a lot of experience in this particular area, and and one that I'll give you an example of. I mean, I used to do a lot of youth ministry in a lot of camps and retreats, and there would be a lot of youth who would come to Christ, who would get baptized even, and some were very genuine, and, and it's it's great to see m- many of those kids walking with the Lord today. But some of those kids would invite friends, their friends would come, and in that spiritual environment and of preaching the Word and of other people responding to the Gospel, some young people would respond. And it seemed like God was doing a work in them. It seemed like it was real at the moment. And, and you know, some of this is a mystery as to whether it was a real or not real. But it is only temporary when affliction or persecution arises. When they go back to their regular lives, they don't have habits. They don't maybe even have a church. They have people that don't follow the Lord. They have the temptations of being a teenager. And they just don't stick with it. And to me, that's what's happening here is, is some people make an immediate emotional decision, but it just they don't grow roots, and as a result, they fall away. And the one whom the seed has sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And this one can be really hard to discern what this means. I mean, I think you could you could picture a great deal of the church in this um, this parable where, you know, they come to Christ and they get involved in the church, but they end up becoming churchgoers that are do-nothings. They just don't serve God. They don't live for God. And they really don't bear fruit. And, and it, it, you know, it's kind of like the stagnant believer who is not growing and you know, at our church recently, we've talked about, you know, if these characteristics of God are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord. I believe that's Second uh, Peter chapter 1. So if you're not increasing, if you're not continuing to grow in your walk with Jesus, you can become stagnant. And 
this world can prevent you from being fruitful. And that's interesting because, you know, it says a tree will be known by its fruit. And Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So what do you say to someone who has no fruit? Well, I think there's times, you know, like a tree as an example, that it doesn't bear fruit all the time. I mean, it bears fruits in season. And sometimes there can be Christians that might be unfruitful for a while because of the world and it choking out what's in them. We don't want to be those kind of people. We we want to continue to bear fruit, but but also, you know, we are human and we do go through valleys and mountains and you know, sometimes in the valley we we might not be that recognizable for our faith and that's not something that God desires. Um but it can be the reality sometimes of a of a believer. We just don't want to stay there. So let's get back on track with the Lord. And, uh, uh, you know, get rid of those weeds and allow ourselves to become more fruitful with his help. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. Now, if you only wanted to have good soil, you could just plant the seed in, in good. But, you know, when it comes to people, I think each of these people are in a different soil condition. And Jesus gives them all a chance. Um, but we want to be the people of good soil. This is the man who hears the word and understands it. See, that, that's been a key understanding throughout this whole passage, is are you willing to take it in to the point of understanding? Are you willing to hear it and really ponder it, think on it, make it yours, and, and follow Jesus personally? Um, become a person of faith who who understands the word that was planted and seeks to understand. And that person who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. Not everyone's going to bear the same kind of fruit or the same amount of fruit. But this is the one who hears and understands. And, you know, may we be the kind of people that our ears are really receptive, our 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 whole being is receptive to wanting to learn. And, you know, if you're listening to this message today, I think that good chance that's you, that you're wanting to hear, you're wanting to understand. And hallelujah, praise God, I believe Jesus is pleased. But as you know, living in this world, not everyone, not everyone is like that. A lot of people you try talking to, and it seems like you're talking to a wall, you know, and uh, they're just not really willing to take it in. And may our hearts be open to him. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And that's really an interesting passage. So Jesus did not want to risk having his true believers wrapped up with the tares. 
And this parable can be interpreted to say that, you know, as the church is growing, there's going to be unbelievers even in the midst of the world and possibly even in the midst of the church. And at the end of the, not the true church, right? If you're the true church, you're a true believer, but but there can be people that are mixed up in the world that are not truly of Jesus and are not truly of faith, but he doesn't want to lose any that are his. So he's going to wait till the end of the age, and then he's going to separate the wheat from the tares, and the tares are going to be burned, and the wheat is going to go up into his barn. Um, these passages really speak of the judgment at the very end when Jesus returns. And and there's going to be a separation that's going to take place between believers and unbelievers at that time. Praise God that he cares enough for his believers that he doesn't want us to get um, taken up, you know, prior to, uh, you know, with the tares. He cares enough for us that he's going to separate us out. Hallelujah. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is a smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And this is one that has a lot of different interpretations to it. Um, And it talks about the growth of Jesus's kingdom and it starts small, but it's going to become full grown. Now, the question is, is what are the birds of the air? Well, the birds of the air many times can be negative. Many times come and devour the flesh of people left behind or, you know, or the ones that, that face judgment. In this, earlier in this chapter, you might recall the bird was compared to the devil who came and stole the seed that was on the rocky place. So, here now, the birds of the air come nest in its branches. Now, it sounds very pleasant. The birds of the air come nest in its branches. And some people interpret this to mean that when God's tree grows, you know, others have come, like Gentiles, have come to be a part of God's tree and rest in its branches. And, uh, you know, that could be what it means. <clears throat> However, in the previous parable of the wheat and the tares, both things are growing along, and then at the end, God takes out the tares from the wheat and he burns the tares. And it seems as though it, there are times when Jesus is saying that, you know, my kingdom's going to grow, but there's going to be other people that are going to try to be a part of it, but they're not really part of it. And there's several parables in Matthew 13 here that we're going to look at where Jesus is indicating that, that two things are growing up together, but some are of me and some are not. And since the birds were the devil earlier in the same chapter, it could be that some people are trying to nest in God's tree, but they're not really of God's tree. You know, I'm giving you both examples. I think, you know, I think there's only one right way to interpret it, but I think both interpretations make sense to a certain extent. Um, so, you know, you you can research that some more. Um, different scholarly people have different opinions. I am I kind of lean towards the fact that these birds are not of God's people because, you know, we as Christians are said to be grafted in to the plant, to God's plant, not a bird. Um, 
So, you know, let's keep going. Maybe it'll become more clear as we go through this passage. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. This is another one that would show perhaps the birds not being really of God. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Leaven is almost always looked at as negative. Um, the leaven of the Pharisees or at the original Passover, they were supposed to make unleavened bread because they were going to get out of Dodge quickly when the Passover came. And, and it's talking about um, leaven getting plucked into the flour that, that, that you didn't want. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables and did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And parables, again, require us to want to know, to want to understand, to learn, to wrestle with it. And I think that wrestling, Jesus is pleased. Um, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. This is the one, remember, the tares and wheat grew up together, and at the end they were divided. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in their kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And this passage is really referring to that that end times judgment when Jesus comes back to take residence on earth before the millennial kingdom, and when all the unbelievers are going to get taken away and the believers are going to shine in the millennial kingdom with Jesus. Um, this would be after the tribulation. Uh, that's how I interpret this passage, and most do. Uh, the, the judgment of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And we're going to have some parables now that re reflect the fact that, you know, Jesus is having him as the greatest thing. The greatest thing of all is finding salvation in Jesus, getting the promise of eternal life, knowing the forgiveness of sins, and making that like our priority and realizing, man, what a blessing we have in knowing the Lord and it becomes, you know, what would you trade that for? Would you trade a million dollars for your salvation to know that one day you're going to get burned in hell forever? Uh, I don't think you would, would you? There's nothing greater. Why, why would you ever avoid such a great salvation? So we buy that field with all we have. We know that the most important thing is knowing Jesus, believing in him, and as a result, having eternal life. He shares a similar parable again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, 
He went and sold all that he had and bought it. The greatest thing that he could buy was the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So here the fishermen's gathering them all up, but then they're going to separate them. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is going to be a judgment for those who do not trust in Jesus. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household or brings out of his treasure things new and old. And I think what that's referring to is, you know, now Jesus is bringing about new teaching in the New Testament. But, you know, we still value the Old Testament too. But you got to bring out both. you got to bring out the treasures of the new and the old. And, and that's the scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, is one who doesn't just focus on Old Testament Jewish teaching, but now receives the New Testament and the new teaching that Jesus gave. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. So they're beginning to say, you know, who is this Jesus? Some are questioning him. These are the ones who are hardened, by the way. And they're like, hey, we know where he's from. We know where he was born. You know, uh, he, he must not be that special. He's just like one of us. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. You know, unbelief can be a real sap on the situation. If you've ever tried to, you know, offer prayer amongst a bunch of unbelievers, or you try to be a witness amongst a big throng of unbelievers, it can be a really, really tough place. And Jesus is saying a prophet may not be accepted in his own hometown and in his own household. And, you know, I, I can tell you, I have a lot of experience in in this. Um, you know, I, I grew up in New Berlin. I went to West Dallas Hale. This is in Wisconsin. And I now I live about, you know, 20 minutes from there. Um, I lived as an unbeliever for many years in the area that I live in now. And then, you know, I was part of a church for a long time and I was, I was the new believer, right? I came to that church and a lot of people were witnessing to me and encouraging me in my newfound faith. And it can be very difficult to seek to minister among people who have known your whole past. Um, I can tell you that my high school friends who I still have some association with, they just have a really hard time uh, believing that I'm, 
you know, now in ministry and a pastor, and I've been doing this for 20 years, but they offer very little respect um, towards that, towards the change that's taken in place in me, despite the fact that I've lived out when I'm with them a consistent faith. And I, I, a prophet is not without honor, honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Um, sometimes your family will have a harder time, you know, receiving from you. Um, that's just the way that it can be. And, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of, this is a different situation, but, you know, like sometimes when you're young and you're in middle school or high school and, you know, you may not be in the in crowd or whatever, and it seems like such a big deal. And, you know, but one day you get out of there, you get out of your hometown and you go to college or you get out of college and you get a job and like none of that matters anymore. None of who you were earlier matters anymore. And a lot of times you want to tell young people that like, don't base your life on where you're at right now because life can totally change. And sometimes you just need a new environment and a new place to, you know, to, to grow. And I've always with you know, primarily ministered in my own hometown, but I will say, you know, we, we moved our church um, about seven years ago and we moved from the area that kind of, I always was in and we moved just a little bit South into an area where I really wasn't known. It was kind of like almost like a different school district, a different set of people. And our church grew very significantly when we moved from kind of what was my wife and I's more hometown, so to speak, to just a little while away, a little ways away. And I've just witnessed what is being said here a lot. So don't feel bad if among your old friends or your old household, people aren't willing to receive from you. Even Jesus struggled in that. And, and, and you know, keep, keep ministering to them, but also, you know what? Plant yourself in a new place where you can, you know, have a greater impact on the people around you. I hope you enjoy going through this uh, passage. I seek to be humble and, you know, I did my best to give you what my perception and the way I lean on Matthew 13. But you know what? I respect that there are other views and sometimes in our finiteness, our humanness, it's hard for us to discern every time with 100% exactly what Jesus was intending. We do the best we can as human beings on this side of heaven. One day we'll see Jesus face to face and what we now see dimly, we'll see more clearly. God bless you all.